comrades, and welcome to another bonus episode of The Red Review, a podcast brought to you by Socialist Action. My name is Daniel, and like all the people working on this podcast, I live and work on stolen indigenous land from across Turtle Island. And before we even begin the podcast, I would like to recognize that there can be no reconciliation without restitution, and that includes land back and seizing the assets of the major resource corporations and returning them to the commons. This month, our bonus episode is the launch of a new series that we're really excited about. Socialist Action is very intergenerational, and a lot of the leaders in our party have been involved in various social and political struggles since the 60s. And we, the younger people in the party, so appreciate being able to learn the lessons they learned throughout the struggle for justice, and to hear the stories about the different movements and what worked, what didn't work. So this month, the first person we're going to be interviewing is Judy Kosh. Judy Kosh is a longtime feminist, disability rights activist, and currently is one of the co-chairs for the federal NDP People Living with Disabilities Caucus. Of course, that's just a brief, brief description of areas in which Judy has worked. Trust me, this interview is going to feature massive struggles, very important struggles from Palestine to South Africa, from the anti-psychiatry movement to the disability rights movement. Just like me, I hope that you learn something from what Judy has to say, and I hope you enjoy the interview. So the first comrade we will be interviewing for this new series is Judy Kosh, a longtime feminist, socialist activist, first in Montreal and now in Toronto. Judy has been in these various movements for the last 60 or so years, and we will be going through this chronologically all the way up until the present, where now Judy is one of the co-chairs for the People Living with Disabilities Caucus within the federal NDP. It's a long and storied history, and Judy is a true comrade. Welcome to the show, Judy. Thanks. Absolutely. So, Judy, you were born in Montreal, correct? Yes. And so that was where you first, you know, potentially got radicalized and started joining some of these movements. So what was the first movement you joined? What was the first fight that you joined? Well, I'll start with the, the fact that my parents were, when they were young, they were uh, in the uh, Young Communist League. Oh, wow. In the 30s. So they've always had, they became rich later and they stopped being active. Mm. But in the 30s, they were in the Young Communist League, and they got communist literature until 56, the Hungarian Revolution. And then they stopped being interested. They started becoming rich, and they didn't like what happened with Hungary, how the, how the Stalinists treated Hungary. So they no longer were interested in politics. Okay, but this awoke in something for you then. So what year were you born in? 1947. Okay, so for the first 10 years of your life, you were still getting literature shipped to the house, you know, and you were exposed to this from a young age. Yes. What was the first group you joined? Well, I tried to join an anarchist group, but they didn't want me. So in 1966, I came around the uh, young socialists, mm. the Asian socialists in, in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So I started off with them. It took me a while. It took two or three years for me to join the uh, League for Socialist Action because I was a very quiet person. I never expressed myself. They didn't, and they didn't know 
who I was or what I was doing. So the League for Socialist Action is the predecessor to Socialist Action, correct? Yes. So what was the League for Socialist Action like at that time? What were they fighting for and how were they organized? Uh, well, they were fighting for abortion rights and they were fighting for Quebec law rights. The anti-Vietnam War movement. Those were some of the main areas they were involved in. Yeah. So at that time, abortion rights in Canada were not guaranteed, were they? No. People that wanted abortion often had to do illegal abortion. People often killed them. After Henry Morgenthaler started to uh, offer women abortions, and that was the start of the anti-abortion movement. Yeah, so there was a doctor who provided illegal, they were illegal at the time, but safe abortions, right? They set up their own clinic yeah. in defiance of the anti-abortion laws. Where were they set up again? Were they in Toronto or somewhere else? All over Canada. Oh, yeah? Particularly, I guess in the early years, it was just Toronto and Montreal. But eventually, it was all over Canada. Wow. Yeah. So this was the 60s. So you had the Vietnam War as well, which Canada supported. So you had an anti-war movement. You had the feminist, pro-choice, abortion-on-demand movement. And you also mentioned then the fight for Quebec self-determination. Yes, also, I'd like to say I was involved in the student movement at the George Williams University, which later became Concordia. Oh, okay. There was the struggle around black rights at the computer center, and uh, there was a fire started, and a lot of students got arrested and kicked out of the university for that reason. Because I, because I had parents that were at that time anti-radical, I wouldn't really participate in those things. I managed to not be uh, expelled. Mm. Stayed into and graduated. I didn't do that well at university, but I did things like I did a trip paper on the revolution in, in Algeria, which happened in the early 60s. Nice. And so then how long after you graduated did you move to Toronto? About a year. Now you had some distance between you and your parents. And would you say this is when your activism and your struggle flourished? Yeah. Like I said, I never was a good, too good a member of the League for Socialist Action. They didn't say very much. And they didn't know what I stood for. But it sounds more like they didn't engage you then. It should be on the on the leadership to engage its members rather than the other way around. Yeah, well, I had problems relating well, uh, relating to the League for Socialist Action because I had a petty bourgeois background. Okay. And so they didn't like that? No. <laughs> well, that's a bit silly because if you're, just because your parents are a bit well off in that case doesn't mean that you yourself aren't a comrade who's committed to revolution. You have a lot of revolutionaries throughout history who came from potentially slightly privileged backgrounds but they still had the right analysis and they betrayed their own petty bourgeois class and fought with the working class for revolution. And that's what you've done as well. Yeah. Uh, no one would call you petty bourgeois today, Judy. You're a working class comrade. So in Toronto, you're still a member of the League for Socialist Action. And what were the struggles going on then through the 70s and 80s? We dealt with trying to get women into industry. Yeah, absolutely. It turned on its head. The League for Socialist Action started to disintegrate in the, uh, was it in the 80s? Yeah, it must have been in the 80s. 
So what year was it that you, you were expelled? In the 80s. Mid-80s. Oh, in the 80s. In the mid-80s. And what was the reason that they gave for expelling you from the League for Socialist Action? Because we didn't want to go into industry. They wanted everybody to go into industry. Yeah, so that was that was their strategy, right? For people that were working in offices and other places like that, they wanted people to quit their jobs and to start working in factories, correct? Yeah. That's a tactic that, well, <laughs> it hasn't worked out for them, has it? I got expelled because they said I was lying when I told them that they were treating me roughly. So that's a lie. You're expelled. So they told me I should quit the movement and join the... Uh, Nicaragua Solidarity Movement. I also was still in contact of the uh, of that group until I joined Socialist Action. Yeah, so Barry and Elizabeth would have also been expelled at one point. And I know part of the reason also for them being expelled was because they didn't agree with the League for Socialist Action abandoning the concept of building revolutionary parties. Is that correct? Yes. Whereas Barry and Elizabeth wanted the the organization to remain committed to the idea of building revolutionary vanguard parties. So they were expelled and then they founded Socialist Action. Yes. Which today has been growing pretty immensely, but you've been there from the beginning. Oh, well, I haven't been there from the beginning. In 2003, I, I started yeah. doing other things other than socialist politics. Okay. What else were you working on then in the interim? I was in the Nicaragua movement. Mm-hmm. Until the imperialists managed to uh, get a foothold in Nicaragua. The imperialists had counter-revolutionary fighting against Nicaragua. And finally, the Nicaragua revolution was defeated because it didn't go all the way. We see very similar, very similar stories in Latin America repeating itself through history. With some exceptions, Cuba was one where the revolution has never been defeated. And you've done some work with Cuba as well, right? Yeah, I've worked with Cuba. Particularly, I've probably been in Cuba at least 20 times when I was involved in that. And what would you do when you would go to Cuba? I was involved in all kinds of different different activities in Cuba, both vacations and work brigades, which I never participated in. I went on work brigades but didn't work because of my disabilities. Are you open to talking about that a bit more, just as how it intersected with all of your activism and what it, what it's been like to be a disabled woman working in these in these environments, uh, in these social movements? Did people treat you hostily because of it? Well, they seem to have been very friendly. The first time I went to Cuba was just as a tourist. I was touring around, checking out all kinds of events. Mm-hmm. Every day I would leave my, uh, the place where I was staying, I'd go to Havana and check out all kinds of things in Havana. So I went there about 20 times over the years and all kinds of political and non-political, mostly political uh, activity. What about the League for Socialist Action and some of the other organizations you've worked with in Canada? How did they treat you then as a disabled woman as you were coming up in the movement? Well, after I got expelled, I still hung around that group because I didn't know any better. Yeah. Even though I did have contact with Barry, I never really joined the group until 2003. But after I got rid of my hesitations around socialist action, treated badly by the elite for socialist action, I didn't really want to join. 
as well as being involved in the Nicaragua movement, I was also supporting the Grenadian Revolution, which was occurring around the same time. Mm-hmm. And I supported El Salvador. And then after the Nicaraguan Revolution was defeated, I started doing other things. First of all, I joined the anti-psychiatry movement mm-hmm. in 1977. And that was because when I went to the psychiatry hospital, the woman at the hospital encouraged me to be politically active, which was amazing. Absolutely. I joined the anti-psychiatry movement. Yeah, but let's talk a little bit about the anti-psychiatry movement. Some listeners might be a bit taken aback by the idea of being against the the medicalization of mental health and the way society treats people with mental health. So describe what was the analysis? What was what were the demands of the anti-psychiatry movement at the time? Well, we were against people getting shock treatment. We were against hospital hospitals that, that dealt with the, the so-called criminally insane. Mm-hmm. Against psychiatry, because we felt that people didn't need psychiatry. They should uh, be able to uh, solve their problems themselves and not have to go to a psychiatric hospital, which often is against radicalism. Mm-hmm. I'll go back now to what I was doing also. No, I was in the Disabled People for Employment Equity and the Disabled Women's Network. And I was in the leadership of that movement. Then I joined the Alliance for Employment Equity. And I was in the leadership of that movement until uh, Harris came in. Until Mike Harris came in power in Ontario. And then those movements disappeared. Were those movements being funded through government grants? Definitely not. The government was against them. (laughs) I can imagine. So what happened with Mike Harris that broke those movements? Well, they just fell apart. They stopped functioning. So I do know that with Mike Harris in Ontario, that the austerity in Ontario at the time got very bad. And there were so much cuts to social services and people started having to work more that ultimately a lot of people... They didn't have the the flexibility to start organizing or keep organizing. Yeah. All of a sudden, people in their own lives are doing worse, eh? Yeah. All cap. I joined All Cap soon after it was formed. A friend told me about it. What does OCAP stand for? Ontario Coalition Against Poverty. Mm-hmm. What kind of demands were OCAP putting forward? They were. They wanted housing. They wanted housing for all. They wanted enough food and and money for everyone. Most of the people on welfare joined uh, OCAP, but there were people, working people also joined. In OCAP, I started doing video work and radio work, and I did a few videos on OCAP and also poverty issues, disability issues. That's wonderful. Also, I graduated with honors to be the community worker course at George Brown College. After that, finally, I joined Socialist Action. So it was a long, it was a long road to getting to Socialist Action. Yeah. And you brought a lot to the table when you did join. You brought anti-poverty background. You brought your feminist background. You brought your disability rights background, the anti-war background, the anti-psychiatry background. And you've been a powerful voice within the party ever since. 
Do you want to talk about socialist action then? In socialist action, I used to go uh, to various demonstrations and things all over Ontario, like the uh, days of action. And I was uh, I did radio uh, interviews around that issue. I was in CKLN and CIUT, starting with the disability issues movements, and later going on to other things. Of the campaigns that Socialist Action leads today, including actions and campaigns for Palestinian liberation, for the expropriation of oil and gas companies as a way of fighting against climate change, for our work on disbanding, disarming, and defunding the police, what are the campaigns that you you find most important now? Or what are the campaigns that you are most involved with? Well, I'm mostly involved with so many people. I stopped going to demonstrations for a while because... Uh, COVID would be harmful to uh, people with diabetes and other uh, problems. Mm-hmm. But in the past, I was coordinator, a literature table coordinator, and then Barry got the idea that we should have our films. So we started having films until COVID came in when we changed to having uh, webcasts. And you've been on a few webcasts, yeah? Yes. I know I was involved in the pro-Palestinian movement. So do you want to talk about, so you yourself, you're you're Jewish, correct? Yes. We've talked about this before, but same thing with Barry, the federal secretary of socialist action is also Jewish. But both of you since the 60s were very critical of Israel. What was it like then as a Jewish person in the 60s as someone who was an anti-Zionist? Well, when the... uh... Palestinian movement started in Montreal, the JDL threatened to beat up everybody that was at the demonstration. And I think they canceled the demonstration at the last minute because of that. Wow. What does JDL stand for, for our listeners? Jewish Defense League. And they called Barry and me self-hating Jews. And they threatened, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I'm pretty sure they threatened to kill us because we were self-hating Jews and they didn't want around. It's something that continues to this day, right? Where people who are critical of Israel are are labeled as anti-Semitic. And if you're a Jewish person who is critical of Israel, then, like you already said, you get called a self-hating Jew. What would you say to that? Well, it's not true. People that support Israel are inviting the Jews to get caught in a conflict with the Palestinians and lose out. They are the self-hating Jews, really. I think that's a fair point. The people who are critical of Israel are the people who are fighting for human rights because what they're doing to the Palestinians is is genocide, it's apartheid, and it's illegal in every sense of international law. So we're on the right side of history, and you, Judy, have been on the right side of history on this issue for a long, long time. Are you encouraged then to see that the tides regarding Palestine are beginning to shift now? where more and more people are seeing that Israel itself is an apartheid nation and ought to be opposed. Yeah, I've seen that. And I saw that in the uh, movement against South African apartheid, which I also supported. Eventually, the black people in South Africa won. Yeah, one day, Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Before we move on to your work in the NDP, Judy, any other things that you want to talk about? I think I'd like to talk about video work and, and radio work, which is something I really got involved in heavily. 
Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. That was after I joined Social Design. Well, even before and after, I was involved with the disability movement and radio. And I had a job getting disabled people involved in radio one year. I was only worked there for a year. But I also was on the board of directors of CIUT, worked on a part-time job at CKLN around disability issues. As far as uh, video work, mostly around OCAP and disability issues, but I also did a history of OCAP and the history of uh, the Bain Co-op and the history of uh, social distraction. And I also was on the board of directors of, of uh, the Bain Co-op for a year. I had my own ideas. I wasn't really concentrating on the ideas of being on the board of directors. No, yeah, you don't seem like a comrade who cares about the titles so much. You care about the work. Yeah. And then when I joined Social Distraction, I did a video on the history of Social Distraction. And that was my last video. I had trouble seeing things properly. So finally, I just stopped being involved in video work. That was, that was around well, the late 2000s. Is now the time to talk about your NDP work? Okay. Yeah. Socialist Action as a revolutionary socialist party, critically supports the NDP, which is the only mass labor party in North America. It's a critical support, often described as 99% criticism, 1% support. And Judy is then one of our leading members in the NDP Socialist Caucus, which is how socialists and other radicals organize within the NDP. That is our base within the NDP. And what role do you play within the NDP Socialist Caucus, Judy? I'll go back to uh, the earlier years. I joined the NDP in, in Montreal, and I've been involved well, off and on since then. I helped out in the NDP, and I did a lot of work for them. Eventually, I dropped out of the NDP and came back in when I joined Socialist Action. I just had other things to do that I thought were more important. Mm-hmm. So, but I did a lot of work for the NDP in the early days. And I didn't really do it as a member of social distraction. I wasn't in social distraction in those days. Mm-hmm. And I was in the uh, need for social distraction. I didn't do much work for the NDP. But I did it after I came back. I became active. I was chief scrutineer in my writing. And I... I had to stay up till midnight. Boy, was I tired after when they had the election campaign. I was totally tired. Then I joined the Socialist Caucus and was active in that. And then I became Disability Issues Coordinator of the federal NDP. I never thought I would become that. So this happened in 2021, right? At the last federal NDP convention? Yes. How many times did you run for that position before? You know, I ran many, must have been at least five or six times I ran for the federal writing as well as the provincial writing. And they never let us become leaders until the uh, ground fell underneath them. But then they didn't encourage us to do very much. But now we're starting to do much. 
Uh, unfortunately, uh, right now, the uh, provincial and federal disability issues movement is on hold because of the election. But after that happens, the disability committee will probably do a few things until the next election. What are you planning on doing? What are your biggest demands? What would you like to see the NDP do for the disabilities community? Well, we want to get all disabled people involved. The uh, federal party said they weren't really interested in us, but we fought back. We were not trying to get disabled people across the country involved in the federal riding. Mm-hmm. But when you say that they weren't supportive at the beginning, it sounds very similar to the experience of the Women's Commission under the leadership of, well, at least no, Dirka Prout was one of the co-chairs. And Dirka Prout's also a member of the NDP Socialist Caucus. And they spoke at the 2021 federal NDP convention in their outgoing address that they were stonewalled by the federal leadership. They weren't given access to the email lists of members. They weren't consulted on how the funds for the caucus was spent. Is that something similar that's happening right now with the People Living with Disability Caucus? Well, now it's changed a little bit. We are now trying to get to work with the, we are starting to work with the federal leadership. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far we'll be going, but right now we're managing to do a little bit of work. Okay. And who's your co-chair? Jay, Jay Woodruff. And working together, I've I've often seen it said then that the caucus under your leadership, you and Jay, it's the most radical caucus within the federal NDP. Would you agree? Yes. Judy, are there any other movements that you want to speak to right now that you've been a part of? I think that's it. Well, Judy, it's hard to think of a comrade in our party who would be a better person to start with with the series. The longevity you've had in such a wide variety of movements, but you've been consistently on the right side of history. You've been consistently a person that fights for the rights of the least privileged people in society and fighting for the working class. You're a testament to the strength of humans to fight for a better world. Just in closing here, do you have any words for all of the young people who are looking to join movements or who are looking just to change the world? What would you say to them? You should join socialist action. We're starting to see that happen. Capitalism can't meet human needs. Capitalism can't change anything. All it, all it does is fuck everything up. And as long as capitalism exists, we're in danger of fires and, and hurricanes and everything where people die. Ordinary people die or have, or have problems fighting even to have a place to live. Well said, comrade. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks, everybody. And I hope you enjoyed the first episode in what is still an untitled series. If you have a suggestion, you can email us at the red review at protonmail.com. That will be in the description. You can always send suggestions that way. As always, if you're looking to get involved, to get organized, we strongly encourage it. Until next month, take care, comrades, stay safe.